Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Well, Family Sunday, kids, welcome to the gathering. If you're, if you're a kid, make some noise. There you go. <laughs> I think it was more than just kids who made noise right there. That's, that's suspicious. But uh, kids, we're glad you're here. We're glad that you're a part of our church family. Uh, we just want you to know that you're a part now. It's not, you're not the church of the future. I mean, you are, but you're also a church of now, the church of present. You're, we need you. We need your energy. We need your questions, your creativity, your joy. So we're glad to have these, these church, these family Sundays, which I imagine are probably less fun than what you guys get in your, in your classrooms back there. But, you know, a few times a year, we'd love to be, be with you, have you with us. Uh, shout out to our kids' church workers, who some of whom are getting a, a week off here. Uh, a lot of love for, yeah, that's right. Put your hands together for our kids' church workers. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, but uh, we were, at the beginning of this year, we had, I think, single-digit number of volunteers in our kids' church ministry, and now I think we're, we're pushing 40. We've, like, quintupled our kids' church workers uh, this year, so super thankful for you guys all stepping in. Um, Love how uh, you guys are investing in the kids, getting fun, getting creative and having fun with it. And, and also that we have enough to where, you know, many hands make for light work, lighter work. You know, we, there's, there's space for more hands, um, but we, we do value giving people rest and time to just be a part of our church, not always serving. So all that. Well, when I was a kid, there was a moment where I was reading my salty kids Bible which I received on this stage uh, going, I think, into first grade or second grade. But back then, we had promotion Sundays. It's kind of a big deal. And uh, I had been looking forward. I forget which grade it was. It was first or second grade where I was given a kid's salty Bible uh, where there's a, a, a big blue book that, um, that is on the cover of a big blue book. And, and it had the Bible in it. And I was reading it one time, uh, and I read some obscure verse from the Old Testament and I was just like, what in the world? And like at the time my mom walked into the room, I'm like, mom, listen to this verse. And I read it and like, what in the world does this have to do with my life? I was like indignant, you know, I like, you know, knew the Bible was a big deal, but like, why is it so strange? Have you ever felt that way? Kids, grownups, have you ever felt that way? <laughs> yes, I still feel that way. I get paid to study the Bible for a lot of time every week, there's still that question of what is going on? Why, why are we still reading this book in 2023? The Bible is amazing and tricky because we have to kind of hold two things, two true things about the Bible together, uh, and it, it almost in tension a little bit. Uh, the first one is that the Bible is first and foremost not about you. It's about God. In the beginning, who? God created the heavens and the earth, right from the beginning. But it does have everything to do with your life, with my life. Uh, and if we're going to come to Scripture in a healthy way, we have to hold both of those 
truths together. If you just focus on the first part, uh, which I've been to seminary and there's lots of people that might lean that way, it's going to be reduced to a textbook or this fascinating historical document that we can dissect and analyze kind of from, you know, a distance, which is fun, to be honest, if you're nerdy like me. Uh, but it can, it can make it kind of dry and, and doesn't often turn us into people of love. But some of us might want to come to the Bible and focus on the second part. You know, the, well, this has everything to do to me. Life application study Bible, all day, every day. Uh, which is true. It does have things to say about the details of our lives. But we, if we reduce it to be primarily about us or a, a how-to manual, where like we go along living our life and then when things are bad, we like, oh, let's pull out the manual, see if we can tighten this up, up, up a little bit, get things back under control. Or if maybe we're more on the emotional side, we just want a little chicken soup for the soul from scripture. We want read the Bible and have it make us feel something, feel a certain way that we want to feel. Of course, the Bible does have instructions given from God on how to live a good life. And there's a lot of feels in there, a lot of emotions, po- uh, poetry that can, that can stir our hearts. But if we don't see that it's first and foremost about God, what he's like, what his character's like, what he's done, what he says good and evil is, then we can fall into the trap. It's sneaky, but we basically put ourselves over author- in authority over the Bible. If it's helpful, great, I'll take it. But if it doesn't help or there's someone better on YouTube with better advice, I'll go that route. If if something I don't like in the Bible, then it's probably, you know, wrong or I need a different translation or something. But when we can hold both of these two things in mind, that the Bible is first and foremost about God, who he is, what he's done for us in Jesus, and we look, look to shape our lives, our everyday lives, based on the story of Scripture and who God is. That's where the magic happens. And that's, I go into all that because I think that's what's happening in our text today. Both of these ideas. Uh, we, we have in the Last Supper the fulfillment and completion of two of the most significant storylines of Scripture that we could spend a year or more tracing and just getting nerdy on biblical theology of what is coming together in this moment with Jesus around a table with his disciples, the Passover and God's covenant with his people. It's just ginormous. You can't, can't overstate how big those biblical themes are. And we have scripture speaking to the very real human experience of betrayal and abandonment. And I, and I, I want to try to connect these two sides of the text. I, I want us to see first and foremost that this story that is not first about us, but about what God is doing in the world with people in the, in the reality of Passover and covenant. But then that, that story would shape our lives. We'd find ourselves in the story uh, that call us to the life, the real, felt, lived, subjective, experiential life of being a human on the earth that is defined by forgiveness and healing. I hope you can see the the scope there. (laughs) Ginormous biblical themes to like how, as Mark shared, how do you deal with people who have hurt you? How do you deal with a sense of rejection and abandonment? 
Big ideas. We have another Mark and Sandwich today, uh, which is this literary device that the uh, writer of this book has used several times where he sandwiched two stories or ideas together in order to make a point that's bigger than, you know, bigger, than, larger than the sum of the parts. And in this passage, the bread is uh, betrayal on top and abandonment on the bottom, kind of sad, sad bread with the sandwich. And, and then the Lord's Supper, the institution of the Lord's Supper is, is in the middle, is all that, that bacon and ham and avocado or whatever's going on in that sandwich. The good stuff. Uh, so we have the Lord's Supper sandwiched between all this painful relational brokenness. So context that we've read, the Passover, uh, which kicks off a week-long festival of unleavened bread, uh, which lasted for a whole week. It was one of the high holy days of God's people, the Jews. Uh, it was a time where people would have saved up all year to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem would have double, tripled, quadrupled in size as everybody came to celebrate Passover, to sacrifice a lamb at the temple and uh, partake of the festivities. Uh, and it was where they, they enacted, they embodied, they remembered that their ancestors were rescued from Egypt. It was a beautiful time, time when men, women, and children were all gathering around the table together and feasting because you had to eat the whole lamb. That was the rule. That was the rule. No leftovers. You had to eat a whole lamb, which is a lot more meat than you'd think. Uh, and, uh, and it was also, you know, mimicking the escape from Egypt. Like they couldn't like leave it in the fridge or, or whatever. They just had to eat and run. <clears throat> it, was a, it was kind of like a liturgical, it was like a structured meal uh, where there were uh, set things that were said and done for ceremonial, but also I would imagine enjoyable glasses of wine, drunk at specific times throughout the liturgy. And, and this is super cool, kids, for, for Kids Church Sunday. The kids had a liturgical part today. Kids, can you say liturgical? Okay, okay. I love having my kids say uh, big words that they don't know what it means. Liturgical means it's, it's a part of participating in worship. It's uh, joining in the work of worship. And the part that the kids had to play in celebrating the Passover was to ask a question, which I think just shows how much God knows what it's like to be a kid. <laughs> kids ask so many questions, at least mine do, right guys? So many questions. Yeah, Johnny's like, uh-huh, yeah, lots of questions. So much that in the tradition of the Bible, that there is this ceremonial religious tradition of having kids ask questions to properly celebrate the Passover. And so I think as grown-ups, it's a good reminder that we can, if we get impatience with, in, with kids asking questions, um, you know, hey, kids, we're sorry. We're working on it. We need to be patient with their questions. Their little minds are learning. But also, can I just say, can I speak for the grown-ups? Can we just agree that you can only ask one question three times and you'll try to remember the answer? Is that possible? Kids are like, no, it's not possible. It's got to be at least a hundred times. But I tried. Uh, so in the Passover, the dad or the grandpa, kind of the head of the household, would sit down at the table with all the family, probably extended family, maybe some neighbors, and he would bless the celebration. And then the youngest boy in the family would ask, dad, grandpa, why is this night different from other nights? And it was a setup for Grandpa to tell a story, like Grandpa Mark on his stool, uh, telling a story 
It's fun. Uh, two or three times they, they get to uh, um, ask questions throughout the meal and kind of prompt the head of the household to speak and rehearse the story of God's deliverance from Egypt, uh, which was an ama- amazing part of their history. They were forced to work all day, every day as slaves. The Jews were beat, treated as less than human. But God rescued them out of slavery after 400 years through the 10 plagues, which was frogs and bugs and grasshoppers and a river into blood and all kinds of stuff. A lot of good flannel graph action in there. Uh, If you were in Sunday school in the 80s. Uh, And then the act of God that finally got Pharaoh to let his people go was the Passover, very sad and serious, the angel of death coming through Egypt to kill the firstborn of each family. There's something unique about the 10th plague when you look at that story from Exodus. All other nine plagues were just for the Egyptians. The Israelites were kept safe. The the stuff that came, all all the blood, the darkness, all that stuff uh, did not affect the Israelites but the 10th one was coming for everyone. It was the scariest one, and, and it was coming for everyone. But God provided protection for his people. And even more interesting, for anyone who would listen to him, anyone who would follow the instructions, which was to have a one-year-old lamb killed uh, and the blood put on a doorway, Jew or Egyptian, going in a home with blood on the door on the doorway would be passed over by death which means that this final plague in the passover is pointing pointing us to a lot more than just the rescue for the israelites it means that all people not just a certain ethnic group need protection from death and it means that rescue is available to anyone who will listen to god and trust his deliverance. That's what we're celebrating here in Mark 14. Celebrating, the time, remembering, rehearsing God's people being rescued from Egypt and protected from death. It's a happy time. Remembering freedom from oppression, feasting on a lamb, drinking wine, and the, prepa- the preparations have been met. I love how Jesus just like, I don't know if that was a miracle where he just like made it work out or he was a celebrity He just gets some prime real estate to celebrate and he sits down with a cup of wine uh, at at the table. I just picture Jesus, they're all reclining. They're finally together, this special moment. He lifts up a cup and he looks at everybody and this is what he said. While they were reclining at table, eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me who is eating with me. Womp womp. (laughs) He didn't raise the cup and say, I love us. I love being with you guys. This is great. He's like, one of you will betray me. Someone who was eating this special meal, someone who had walked and lived, traveled with Jesus, ate with Jesus for years, was going to betray him. It was, the disciples are grieved, this cozy, special moment. It was hard to imagine how could anybody do that? 
He segues into the next part of the Passover feast. It was the breaking of the unleavened bread and passing of what was probably the third or, or the fourth uh, cup of wine. Uh, probably the third uh, at the drink at the Passover. And he says this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is a staggering moment where Jesus is doing something only that God can do. He's taking a ceremony that God gave his people to do uh, hundreds of years ago, the Passover, uh, the, the ceremony that was meant to remember who God is and what he's done for his people. And Jesus is saying, it is about me. It points to me. The Passover lamb from Exodus and every single Passover lamb who has been sacrificed every year in the centuries since all point to me. Like the lamb's body would be broken and given my body will be broken and given to you. Like the lamb's blood that would be spilled and painted on the door to protect you from death. The death that is coming for everyone who has sinned. My blood will be spilled to protect you from death. I am the Passover lamb. Staggering. And then he begins to talk about the covenant, the wine that is blood of the covenant poured out for many. So covenant, kids, is a fancy word for promise. Like when mom and dad get married, they make a promise to love each other for the rest of their lives. It's a, a marriage covenant, term we don't use that much anymore. Here Jesus, with using this language of covenant, is <laughs> I almost cut this out this morning, but we've got to talk about it. It's, it's in the text. Jesus is inserting himself into one of the most important and maybe one of the weirdest stories uh, in the Old Testament from Genesis 15 where God, uh, as the expression goes, cuts a covenant with Abraham. He promises to make him a great nation, to bless his descendants, that his descendants um, might be a blessing to all the nations. The goodness of God might come to all the earth through Abraham and his descendants. And back in those days, they didn't have lawyers and contracts and signatures. It was much weirder and bloodier. Are you ready for this? The expression was to cut a covenant because they would use animals like a goat, a cow, something, and literally cut them in half. Uh, maybe in like a valley or like a little dip in the land, and they would put one side of the animal on each side of the dip so that the blood would kind of run down into the middle in between. And both, either both people making the covenant or as what most often happen, uh, the, the person of less import, least importance would walk through in the blood between the halves of animals, uh, embodying, making a statement that if I, be it, be it to me as, as what has happened to these animals will happen to me if I don't uphold my side of the covenant. Make you think twice about breaking your promise very intense. But here's the crazy part of Genesis 15 where we have God Almighty, Yahweh, 
cutting a covenant with a man, Abraham, Abram at the time, making a covenant, instead of them both walking through the valley in blood, or instead of Abram walking through as the less important person in the covenant, what scripture tells us is that a smoking pot and a burning torch pictured before you pass between the animals, symbolizing God, symbolizing God would keep his side of the promise. But not only that, if Abram and his descendants failed to keep their end of the bargain, the punishment, the bloodshed would come back, not on them, but on God. And here in our text, we have Jesus saying, the blood I'm about to shed on the cross is the covenant, is the fulfillment of that covenant back in Genesis 15. Abraham, God's people never got it right, never able to keep their law, never able to walk in God's ways and uphold their side of the covenant. Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, poured out for the sins of many, for every one of God's people who have failed to live up to God's standard. Jesus is taking the Passover in the Abrahamic covenant and saying they are about me. They are fulfilled in me. They were pointing to me the whole time. I am the one to protect you from death. The death that we all deserve for breaking the covenant, for not living up to God's perfect standard of goodness, kindness, holiness, justice. That's the meat of our sandwich. It's pretty meaty. Now the bottom piece of bread, abandonment, verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The blood of the covenant is being poured out because the disciples will fall away. Jesus was betrayed. Now he will be abandoned. All humans fall away and abandon God and don't live up to the covenant. We have Peter saying, I, I will never fall away. Even if all these other jokers do, I will not. I will even die for you. And if you're like me, you can see yourself in Peter. You know, there are these moments where you're so motivated and passionate and you, there's no way I could ever do anything like that. But then there's other moments where fear takes over. Where pain takes over and we fail. For Mark to sandwich this moment where Jesus shows that the Passover and the covenant of God with his people are all met in him, fulfilled in him, for him to sandwich that between betrayal and abandonment, show, Mark is showing us why, why Jesus' body had to be broken and his blood shed. So what does this have to do with my life? What does this have to do with your life? What do all these animals being killed and blood spread around doors and valleys have to do with me and you? Well, let me put a finer point on it. What does this have to do when, what does this have to do with how you feel when your, your husband looks at something on the internet that just devastates you? What does this have to do about the fact that your dad uh, abandoned you when you were young? What does this have to do 
with the fact that your coworkers, people you'd ride or die with, turn on you in order to advance their own careers? What does it have to do when uh, someone, your dear brother or sister in church hurts you? When a pastor or someone in spiritual authority betrays you? What does this have to do when a friend you thought you'd grow old together with moves to a new city, seeming at a whim just to make more money? Betrayal and abandonment are parts of life. We get betrayed and abandoned. We betray others and abandon others. And I, I want to invite you to consider the pain redemption cycle that is available, I think, to anyone who wants their pain redeemed. And it's based on Jesus as the perfect Passover lamb. This is uh, almost exactly what we work through in Regen. The cycle of redemption starts with pain. <laughs> Starting with Jesus experiencing pain on the cross. Redemption starts with pain. It's one of the most powerful forces in our life, one of the most powerful motivators uh, within the human experience. You know, like in counseling world, they say, no one will change until the pain of staying the same is, is more than the pain of change. And in God's way of operating, pain is the entry point to redemption. And so pain can lead us to pray. Prayer is like that, that feeling of being drawn outside of yourself, where like you have to say something, you gotta talk to someone. And a lot of times we pray to the internet or a spouse or a friend or whatever, but that, that desire of like, I have to get this out is that in, impulse to pray. And I'm not talking about neat, tidy, appropriate prayers where you slap a verse on it and tie a bow on it and just tuck it away. I'm talking about like biblical level prayers, the, those scary prayers in the Psalms where the prayer wants God to like crush his enemies, bash their babies upon the rock, do you know those are in the Bible? They're very uncomfortable. But they're in there because God invites us to pray as brutally honest as we are able to, to pour out our complaints, our pain to God, to be unfiltered in what we want God to do. I think it's one of the most true marks of faith, of, of Christian maturity, is, is how honest we are with God, how free we feel to ask God for things that like, yeah, technically aren't right. Like God can sort that out and he will shape our hearts, but there's an act of faith to beg God for justice. To be able to express our emotion to our Father, pour out our pain, shows us that we've, we've embraced grace, but grace at a deep level. We're willing to let the ugly show before God. Why? Because we're safe as his beloved children. He's our father who hears us and cares about us. Now, I've prayed this many ways in my life and what happens in the redemption cycle, especially when I pray through the Psalms in those dark places where I just don't know what to pray. I'm hurting so bad. And then I read Psalms and I'm like, oh, that's even like worse than I feel. You know, I just feel like God gets me. Like he's not scared of my emotion or weirded out by it or judging or critical. I feel unbelievable kindness, comfort. I feel felt in my emotion. That's so important that we can't miss that step. If we miss that step, then we'll miss the heart of God and I think do violence to our souls. 
because it's from this kindness and comfort where we can be led by the hand, a, a hand of our shepherd, a hand that has a hole in it, uh, to, to begin to see the sin that is coming at me from others is also coming out of me. Maybe not in the same way, to the same degree, or the same type, but we begin to see ourselves honestly come to ourselves like it says the prodigal son does when he's with the pigs. He comes to himself. He sees himself. And this is not to beat ourselves up or to wallow in the fact that I'm a wretched worm. That's not, that's not repentance that, that the Holy Spirit brings. That's con- condemnation. But instead, repentance makes us like the prodigal son turn back to our father to receive grace, the gift of forgiveness that Jesus purchased for us as the Passover lamb. And we see, wow, God is my father and loves me in spite of my sin, in spite of the fact that I've hurt him way worse than this other person has hurt me. What kind of love is this? And that is my point, that the, the main point, the good, but it's hard, it's good news, but it's hard news is that our pain from abandonment and betrayal points us to how we have betrayed and abandoned Jesus as imperfect humans. And his body broken, his blood shed on the cross was not some abstract theological move or cosmic general redemption. It was for you. It was for me. True healing from our wounds of betrayal and abandonment come when we feel God's kindness and comfort and we're led into repentance we see Jesus' body broken on the cross. His blood shed uh, has been done uh, for the sin that's been done to you and the sin that we have done to others, to God and others. Justice has to land somewhere. Forgiveness has to, for it to mean something, someone has to absorb the debt. If you owe someone $1,000 and they say, just forget it. If they forgive your debt, that means that they have like taken that $1,000 debt into, they've absorbed it in their books, like it goes somewhere. It doesn't just flow off into space. It means forgiveness has a price. And when we see that all the pain, all the sin from that pain that we've experienced has fallen on Jesus, we can forgive because we see that the price has been paid And justice for the betrayal and abandonment that you have done, that I have done, has also fallen on Jesus. It has been paid by the blood of Jesus that covers us and now the punishment passes over us. It passed over us on to Jesus. His blood covers the door of your life and protects you from death. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to.
Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.